All right, open up to Genesis chapter 17. Genesis chapter 17. Uh, Last week we talked about Genesis chapter 16. Oh, God had made a promise to Abram uh, and to uh, his wife um, that they would have a son. And they uh, apparently thought that God needed help. And so they came up with a plan to help God out. And it was uh, disastrous to say the least. Uh, one of the things that, that I've been really trying to do as I read uh, these, these stories that uh, for, for me and maybe for many of you, you've heard these over and over and over. Um, I know in the past when I've gone to church and they've said, we're going to start studying Genesis, I was always kind of like, oh, I already know all that stuff. You know, I went to a church and they were doing John and they said, we're going to study the book of John. I'm like, oh, I already know that one. Can't we do the book of Hezekiah? Thomas, one of those I've never heard of that don't actually exist. Um, can't we, um, can, you know, I, I just, I always, I was, always thought, oh, I already heard this one. I already knew it. And, and one of the blessings to me um, as, I, as I got into ministry and started doing Bible studies and, and putting together lessons, I realized that there was such great depth to these things that I thought I already knew. And one of the things I've been really trying to do, and I, I tried to do this last week as well, is, is look at these people that are involved in these stories, not as these caricatures um, or I, maybe a Sunday school picture on the wall kind of thing, but really think about what was happening in their life and, and how they would respond um, to the things that, they, that were going on. And, and, uh, and I shared last week about just how, how it impacted me as, I, as we talked about uh, Abram and Sarai uh, deciding that they, uh, that they wanted to have a child and God had not blessed them with the promised child. And so uh, Sarai gave her servant girl, Hagar, to her husband. And, and I really... Um, if you weren't here, I tried to tell it kind of more from the view of Hagar of here's this young girl who's just been given to an old man to have a child. And, um, and you know, her reaction to that uh, in the story, um, well, you know, she runs away, which only makes sense. Um, I think that most of us would flee from people like that as well. So anyway, as we read this today, uh, I want to I try to do that again, kind of look at this uh, for maybe from an angle we haven't looked at it before and uh, let's start with verse 1. It says, When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am Almighty God, walk before me and be blameless. Uh, this is 13 years after chapter 16. Uh, so there's 13 years passed between the last verse in the last chapter and the first verse of this chapter. So God appears to Abram again, and he calls himself the Almighty God. The, the Hebrew there is El Shaddai. And if you're an Amy Grant fan, you probably have heard that um, word many times. It's used 48 times in the Old Testament. It's kind of a neat word. Um, the El um, is a, a common uh, word that you see used for God, and what it means is the, the arm, the strong arm. And Shaddai speaks of uh, like the mother's breast. And so the idea of the, the, the mighty strong like the man, but also the the has the, the the love and the nurturing of the of the mother and uh but anyway tr- often translated usually translated El, um, almighty god so um then he says walk before me and be blameless walk before me and be blameless now the word blameless literally means uh be whole be whole and, and what God is saying is, he, you know, he says, I want all of you, Abram. I want total commitment. And this is one of those things that, that uh, to me, keeps getting bigger. I keep seeing new areas in my life uh, that when I talk about giving everything to God, I keep finding new areas and new things that I realize that, you know, I don't, 
I haven't given those wholly to God. And so as, as, we, as we think about this, you know, this is what God's desire was for, for Abram to walk before him and be blameless, to, to, be, to give his, his whole life, everything to God. And so I had to ask myself this question, you know, does he want any less from me? If he says this to Abram, I, I want you to walk before me and be blameless. Uh, does God want any less than that from me? And then I had to ask myself the next question, which is the hard question. What am I withholding? What am I withholding from him? So what are you withholding from him? What is there? What are you holding back? What are you keeping as, as something that you are refusing to hand over to him? Whether it be your time, your money, your future your plans, your relationships, your dreams. The awesome thing is you can trust God with those things more than you can trust yourself. Amen? The stuff that we hold on to tightly because we don't trust him with, we are not as capable of handling those things as he, are, as he is. We, we tend to hold on to those things and, and we tend to bury them or hide them away or try to keep them safe or, or bring it about on our own like uh, Abram and Sarai did where they wanted this child so badly that they went about it on their own and caused a big mess. So what are you withholding today? Well, let's look at verse 2. It says in verse 2, God's continuing, continuing to speak, and I will make my covenant between me and you, and will multiply you exceedingly. And Abraham and Abram fell on his face. I love this. I love this. And this, I, I was reading this yesterday, and this one line just stuck out to me. Abram fell on his face. Now, it may be, as we read this, that God didn't speak to Abram in 13 years. That may be the case. It would make sense since there's nothing recorded. Uh, it may be that since Abram and Sarai did their little plot and impregnated Hagar, Hagar ran off, and remember the angel Lord appeared to her and said, go back. And so she goes back and says, hey, God spoke to me. And maybe that was the last time they heard from God. And so Abram's reaction is much different than it was before. He falls on his face before the Lord. It may be that Abram thought he was disqualified. Because if you, if you think about it, here's a guy that God spoke to him, God directed him, and then he goes and does his own thing, and then nothing for 13 years. And he may have thought, I'm disqualified. I blew it. I went and did my own thing. We came up with our own plan. We disobeyed God. We, uh, we thought we had to bring about his promise, and we messed things up. And, and so we see a new humility in Abram where he falls on his face. The last time God spoke to him, uh, he asked God all kinds of questions. He said stuff like, well, what are you going to give me, and how will I know? And this time he, he falls on his face, and he's going to ask a question later on, but it's more of a question of, ama- of amazement, like when you're eating dessert and you go, isn't this pudding awesome? That doesn't really require an answer. It's just your way of expressing the awesomeness of the pudding. None of you have ever had pudding that good. Every time you make it, it's that good. Wow. Uh, <laughs> so um, anyway, he said this, this time he, he responds much differently. And this is a man, what we're seeing in Abram is we're seeing him becoming more and more the father of faith that he'll be referred to as in the New Testament. Because up to this point, we've seen him, him believe God and it be accounted to him as righteousness when God made a promise to him previously. But we've also seen him mess up, lie. God tells him to leave the land that is, that is, um, 
leave, the land, leave his family and his land behind and go to the land that God will show him. And he kind of takes this detour and he brings family along and then eventually he leaves his dad, but he brings his nephew. And he's kind of partially doing it and being partially faithful. I don't know if you're familiar with partially faithful things like your um, freezer that works three days a week, the firemen that show up every third fire, partially faithful things. You like those things? No, and yet, for some reason, that's how many Christians live their life, as partially faithful Christians, four days a week, five days a week, 6.7 days a week. But we've seen here in, in Abram, we're seeing a man who's growing in his faith. And I believe that, that in light of his failures, God has gotten bigger in his sight, because he has seen, I've messed up, I've messed up, I've messed up, and yet here's God again speaking to me. What a humbling thing that is. What a humbling thing that is when he, when he realizes that he's failed and yet God has remained faithful. And his response is he ends up on his face before God. And, and as I read that again this week, you know, Abram fell on his face. I asked myself this question. When was the last time I fell on my face before God? When was the last time that I, that I so experienced the greatness of God when I, when I so, saw him, whether in his word or through my life or through something um, that somebody shared, where I saw the greatness of God and I ended up on my face before him. And, and I had to ask myself as I read this, I, I, I look at Abram who saw his great failures and the greatness of his God. And I had to ask this question, is the reason that I don't find myself on my face before God, is it because my failures are too small or is it because my God's too small? Or maybe it's just that my distractions are too great that I don't even notice the greatness of my failures and the greatness of my God. And God continued, um, it says, And Abram fell on his face, and God talked to him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be a father of many nations. No longer shall you be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. For I have made you the father of many nations. So no longer is his name Abram. Abram means exalted father, which had to be a tough thing going through life in this culture where it was looked on. If you didn't have children, that was looked like, like God had cursed you. And so uh, when, when it says that Abram's name is, his name means exalted father, that uh, when he has no kids. He has no kids, and so uh, it had to be tough going through life with the name Exalted Father, and you had to say, hi, my name's you know, Abram, the Exalted Father. Oh, really? Let me see your pictures of your kids. <laughs> Abram gets on the airplane. He has nothing to talk about with the person next to him. No kids. But God says, we're changing your name from Abram to Knucklehead because that's what you are. No, that's the Godfather, not God the Father. Abram's name is now Abraham, which means father of multitudes. How many kids does he have at this point? One. One. One kid. And now God says, hey, your name was exalted father. Now your name's going to be ex- father of multitudes. And I just can you imagine Abram like, like thanks. Then gathering everybody around. All right, everybody gather up, family, friends, everybody gather around, servants. Okay, up to this point in my life, you've known me as exalted father, but from now on, we need to change my name to father of multitudes. Your 
You know, every servant girl was running. Like, no! Father of multitudes. You know, I think, this, he, I think he had to look silly. I think some of this stuff was difficult and humbling. Changing his name from exalted father when he had one kid to father of multitudes, still with one kid, that's uh, going to take, uh, you know, he might look silly to people that don't know God. To the people that know God and would understand the situation, they'd be like, this is going to be awesome. But to those who don't, uh, I'm sure he looks foolish. Uh, this week in the news, um, I, I saw articles about two different people that are, are um, professional athletes or, well, one's a professional athlete, I guess one's an amateur athlete, but they both um, have publicly proclaimed that they are going to remain virgins until they're married because that is what God has called them to do. And it was amazing um, the backlash that one in particular was getting for that statement and how, and how people were ridiculing her and saying how silly that was. And I thought, what an amazing thing that here she says, I'm going to do what God says, and yet people are telling her that that's ridiculous and silly. And, uh, and that'll happen. As Christians, that will happen. There will be times where it costs us our reputation with the people of the world in order to stand for our God. But what I love about this is God gives Abram a new name. He says, you're no longer Abram, you're Abraham. And his name comes with a promise. His name comes with a promise. His name used to mean exalted father, now it means father of multitudes, which means from him will come multitudes. And uh, it's a name with a promise, a new name. It's one of those great things about being a Christian is that we have been given a new name. What I also love about this is that it says... um, In verse 5, for I have made you a father of many nations. Well, at this point, he has one kid. But God says, I have made you a father of many nations. This is one of those things about God that's awesome. God will talk about stuff that hasn't happened yet in past tense, which might be confusing unless you know God and you know that when God says something's going to happen, it's as good as done because God doesn't say something's going to happen and then change his mind. He's not confused about the future. He knows what's going to happen. And so he says, I have made you the father of many nations. And I love that because when you, when you look at yourself as a Christian, you can say, I have a new name. I am the redeemed. I am justified. I am righteous. I am saved. Uh, bring me the best one of all, John 1.12. To all who received him, to those who believed in the power of his name, he gave the right to be called children of God. And so one of those great things about being a Christian is that we have a new name, and that new name is child of God. All right, verse 6. God says, I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of you, and kings shall come from you, and I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you and their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and your descendants after you. Also, I give to you and your descendants after you the land in which you are a stranger. All the land of Canaan as an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. Now, this is the fourth time now that God has made the same promise to Abram, or now Abraham. He's made it four times. And I mentioned uh, a couple weeks ago about uh, there's, a, there's a pattern to this, and we'll look at that in just a minute. Uh, but God restates the covenant for a fourth time, which makes sense because Abram blew it big time a while ago, and he had to be wondering, you know, maybe I... Maybe by trying to fulfill the covenant, fulfill the promise on my own, maybe I'm disqualified. Maybe God's not going to use me now because I blew it. And so God speaks to him again and says, remember all that stuff I told you before you made a big mess? 
same stuff, same promises. And so maybe you've failed, maybe you've fallen short in your walk with Jesus, and maybe you've drifted away. Well, here's the great thing. We have a great promise in Romans 8.1. It says, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Your righteousness, which means your right standing with God, is not dependent on your faithfulness, but rather on the faithfulness of your God. So does that mean you can just go out and do whatever you want, and it doesn't matter because God's righteousness, you know, your righteousness is dependent on God? Well, as Paul says in, in, uh, in Romans 6, he says, he says, you know, it starts off with the question, you know, shall we continue to sin that grace may abound? And he says, heaven forbid. You know, why would you continue to do those things about from which you're once ashamed? Why would you continue to do the things that brought death and pain and slavery to your life? Why would you want to do those things? And that's one of those things that, that I've, I've shared with you a lot of times. When you look to the future, look ahead in holiness. Say, I want to walk in holiness and righteousness before God. I want to be, I want to walk in the way that God has, has called me to walk. I want to walk in blameness, or blamelessness. When I look backwards, I look backwards in grace and say, I have sinned, I've messed up, I've failed, but God has forgiven me. If you switch those, then you have big problems because you look back and all you see is your failures. You don't see holiness. And when you look ahead, you'll say, well, I can do whatever I want because I have grace. And that's not how we ought to be living. We ought to be living looking back saying, man, what a great God I have to forgive me. But when I look ahead, say, God has empowered me to walk in holiness. Does that mean you're not going to mess up? No. You're still going to fail. You're still going to stumble. You'll still fall. But here's the thing. Years ago, I was at a VBS, and a little girl, well, maybe teenager, teenager, was sharing with the kids, and... And what she was saying, she said this. She said, you know, you're going to still sin, and that's okay, because God will forgive you. And I was like, ah, it's not okay. Never say sin is okay. Never. It's not okay that you continue to sin. Does that mean it's not going to happen? No, but don't plan on it. Don't be like, well, it's okay, it's okay because I'm forgiven. That's not how we ought to walk. We ought to walk in, in holiness, and when we mess up, then we look back at our mess up, and we look back at God's grace, and we say, God, forgive me. Now I'm back to holiness. Verse 9. And God said to Abraham, as for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your descendants after you. Every male child among you shall be circumcised. And you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male child in your generations, he who is born in your house or bought with money from any foreigner who is not your descendant, he who is born in your house and he who is bought with money must be circumcised, and my covenant shall be in your flesh for an everlasting covenant. And the uncircumcised male child who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, that person shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. All right, so he gives him this sign of the covenant. He brings, uh, he tells him that he shall be circumcised in all the members of his family and all those um, who hang out with them, all their servants and such, uh, on the eighth day of life, which uh, scientifically is the best day if you're going to do that because that's when a child's blood clotting is at its highest. Uh, but circumcision is a cutting away of the flesh, and it's a sign of the covenant for those who would not put their trust or their faith in their flesh, in their own strength, 
in their own power, but in their God. And so, before I said, remember, this is the fourth time that this that this um, covenant has been stated, the fourth time God said it. And I shared this a couple weeks ago, but I'll, I'll share this again. In Genesis 12, the covenant was first announced. Um, in Genesis 13, and then again in chapter 15, the beginning of it, the covenant is confirmed. And then at the end of chapter 15, it's where God uh, has Abram cut these animals in half. And then he walks between them while he put Abram into a sleep. And we talked about how the um, after it was announced and confirmed, then it was uh, ratified in blood. And now there's a sign of the covenant, um, and the sign is uh, circumcision. And so I, I t- we talked about how other covenants um, have the same kind of things. And when we talk about the new covenant, which is uh, what we read about in the New Testament, it's first announced in the book of Jeremiah 31:31. 31, 31 where it says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, where I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel, with the house of Judah, and it goes on from there. Uh, and then that covenant is confirmed um, by the life and words of Jesus. You know, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. That's the covenant. Salvation for those who believe. That's, um, that was uh, then ratified by, by the blood with Jesus' death on the cross. And then the sign of the covenant uh, which uh, we have communion and we have baptism. Those are the signs of the covenant that we have entered into it. Um, when you get married, there's all those same things. There's all those same things. There's the, the uh, wedding proposal. Um, then there's the, uh, the uh, announcements that go out. Um, then you have the, uh, the wedding ceremony with your, with your vows, um, the consummation. And then finally, we have the sign. The ring, the sign um, of, the, of, the, of the covenant. Now, here's the thing. This is a dangerous thing about the signs. I talked about this a while ago. We have this, this, um, this problem with signs where we get hung up on them. We get hung up on the symbol, and we forget what the symbol stands for. Just because you wear a ring does not mean you are married. Just because you wear a ring does not mean you are honoring your marriage commitment. Amen? Because, like, I don't know anything about that. I, I always honor mine. Good. But just because somebody wears the symbol does not mean that they are honoring what it signifies. Just because someone has been baptized does not mean they, that they are a believer. We talked about this at youth group this week, that, that uh, some people baptize babies. Well, the new covenant is a covenant that you choose to enter into. It's a covenant of choice. Receiving Jesus as your Savior. He died on the cross. All we have to do is choose to enter into it to receive it. Now, if you get baptized and you don't know what it means because you're one year old, you didn't choose to enter into a covenant. You're what we call a wet baby. You're not righteous and holy. There's nothing different about you except now you're moist. If you are 25 years old and you think, well, I want to get baptized because it seems like a good thing to do and all my friends have, you're just a wet 25-year-old. It doesn't mean anything. Paul talks about that in the, in the New Testament about, you know, about circumcision. And if it's just a symbol and you don't recognize what the symbol stands for, you've missed the whole point. Um, and here's the problem, that we tend to put faith in the sign of the covenant rather than in the God of the covenant. I won't baptize babies. I don't baptize kids unless they can explain to me what they believe because... Uh, 
to me, it's a, I don't want anybody putting their faith in the symbol. I've heard too many people over the years say, when you, when you ask, maybe ask them, you know, hey, if you died today, would you go to heaven? And they'll say stuff like, well, yeah, I was baptized when I was a baby. What are they putting their faith in? The baptism as a baby, and that's not what saves them. That's just the symbol. They're putting their faith in the symbol. Would your wife ever cheat on you? Well, she wears a ring, so I guess not. Man, what if, what do you say? Well, if you knew my wife, you knew she's a, you know, she's dedicated, she's committed, she's an amazing woman. Then you start to say, oh, well, I have faith in that woman, not in the fact that she wears my ring. Because we've all seen the show where the guy sees the good-looking woman, pulls his ring off, puts it in his pocket. Hey, don't mind my tan line, you know. No faith in the, the don't put faith in the symbol. Don't put faith in the sign. Verse uh, Verse 15. Then God said to Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but you shall, but Sarah shall be her name. And I will bless her and also give you a son by her, that I will bless her, and she shall be the mother of nations. Kings and people shall come from her. A name change. Her name was Sarai, now it's Sarah. Both Abraham and Sarah, their name has an additional Hebrew letter in it. All God really does is give them an extra letter. The letter is he. It's the breath sound, the he. Um, And it's the fifth letter of the Hebrew alphabet, which is important because when you see in the Bible the number five, it usually is speaking of God's grace. Um, But it's the breath sound. And in the Bible, in the New Testament, you have the word, uh, depending on your, your Greek pronunciation, some would pronounce it pneuma, some say panuma, but the idea is breath, spirit the Holy Spirit. And, and this is one of those cool things because you see this happen in the Bible. Sometimes they throw an extra he in there because it's, it's kind of a, a, even a silent sound. Sarah, you don't say Sarah. Um, but it's there. And this is the awesome thing about the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit so often works quietly and silently behind the scenes where we don't see him, we don't, we don't see amazing things happening, but he's working behind the scenes. And, and the Bible tells us that he doesn't testify of himself, but of... Um, but of Christ. And so there's these, there's these cool things like Bethlehem um, in the Old Testament is called Bethlehem Ephrath, which means house of bread. Ephrath means ash heap. But uh, when it talks about the Messiah being, being born there, it's called Bethlehem Ephrathah. It adds the, the he in there, and it changes the meaning of Ephrath from ash heap to Ephrathah, which means place of fruitfulness. And just like we saw, Abraham went from exalted father to Father of multitudes. Which is kind of cool when you think about it because with the addition of the Holy Spirit in your life, you might go from being one that's exalted to instead one who becomes fruitful and you see that maybe you're not exalted and people aren't saying, that guy's so great, but instead you become the spiritual father of multitudes of people or the spiritual mother to multitudes of people. Sarah, her name before meant contentious. Sarai means contentious. Sarah means princess. What an awesome thing that is, that our God can take a contentious woman and turn her into a princess with the addition of his Holy Spirit. I assume it's the same for guys, right? That if you're marrying a contentious man or if you've got a contentious son, that the addition of the Holy Spirit in his life uh, turn him into a prince. Uh, what an awesome thing. The, you know, because here's the thing, the Holy Spirit changes people. It's the Holy Spirit that changes people. He can make a great man 
fruitful. He can make a contentious woman into a princess. He can take what's dry and fruitful, uh, fruitless and make it fruitful. And so ultimately, this is what we need as Christians. We need more of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And Jesus said, God will give us more of this, the Holy Spirit. To, he'll give more to those who ask, which is a great thing. And so I'd, I would encourage you to do that. Ask for more of the Holy Spirit. When you're praying, you know, I don't know, some of you probably, because you've read the Bible says pray always for wisdom, you pray always for wisdom. Well, pray also for more of his spirit to empower you and enable you to do what he's called you to do. Verse 17, then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said in his heart, shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old and shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, oh, that Ishmael might live before you. So it's not a laugh of disbelief. He's not like, yeah, right, God. You know, he's not a teenager. Um, He's saying, he's laughing like, this is amazing. Can this really happen? And then he says this weird thing. Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. So God is promising this child, made this promise. He's like, oh, God. What about Ishmael? Just have that be Ishmael. Now, this is one of those things that I was talking about. We get these ideas like Sunday school ideas in our head or, or a picture of this guy who Abram is, and I think we forget things. This is a 99-year-old man who has just been given an absurd new name. He's been promised a child. Think about that. I know some of you, you, you know, your kids are teenagers now, and imagine if all of a sudden you found out you're going to have another one. We, we, Holly and I have friends that have had that happen, like the kids are ready to graduate, and then, bam, oh, guess what? We're 43 years old, and we are going to have a baby. And they're like, I'm too old. 99 years old. Sarah, Sarah's going to be changing two sets of diapers. He's an old guy with a weird new name, raising a middle schooler. Have you seen middle schoolers? There are no middle schoolers. 13 years old. He's got a teenager. He's got Ishmael the teenager. He's got a wife who has gone through menopause. And he was just told to permanently alter his genitals. I mean, to think about this, this is, if it's me, that's what I'm saying. Use that kid. Because I'm old, she's old, we just had surgery, so Let's just go with this kid. And maybe I'm the only one that thinks like that. Maybe the rest of you are like, oh, no, Abraham was like, oh, yes, score. You know, I don't know. I'm thinking that he's going, I have just had a crazy uh, thing said to me, and, Lord, this is some wild stuff, and I believe it, but you know what? I'm an old man. Can we just go with this kid? You know, he's a humbled man. It's as if he's saying, God, this is all wonderful and amazing. This is beyond anything I could have imagined, but I would be satisfied with Ishmael. See, don't miss this. This is often the case of how things work in the Christian life, is when you get to that place where you are satisfied with what you have and where you are, when you're satisfied with God alone, that's when God can trust you with great blessings. Because I've been saying this a lot lately. Sometimes we pray for what we really want, and what we're praying is for something to take God's place in our life. We're praying for an idol. And why would God give that to us? And so we see this man who's finally said, he did, when God promised him a son, he didn't say, well, when am I going to get it? He just said, hey, you know, that's great, but I've got a, I've got a great 13-year-old kid here. And um, he's satisfied with what he has, and now God says, no, I'm giving you more. When God is enough is often when the greatest blessings come. 
All right, let's finish this up. Verse 19. Then God said, No, Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant and be, his, um, be with his descendants after him. And as for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and will multiply him exceedingly. He shall begot 12 princes and I will make him a great nation. But my covenant I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this time next year. Then he finished talking with him and God went up from Abraham. So God speaks to Abraham, he finishes up, and it was much faster because I took time to talk about it, but God just said his, his bit and says, I'm out of here. So God speaks, and let's see what happens next, because this is the truly amazing part. Verse 23, so Abraham took Ishmael his son, all who were born in his house, and all who were bought with his money, every male among them, the men of Abraham's house, they circumcised the flesh of their foreskins that very same day. As God had said to him, Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. And Ishmael, his son, was 13 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. That, that very d- same day, Abraham was circumcised and his son Ishmael. And all the men of his house, born in his house or bought with money from a foreigner, were circumcised with him. Did you see what happened here? We see a totally different Abraham than we saw earlier. Abraham before uh, he would, the old Abram responded slowly, and he responded partially. Now we see Abraham responds immediately and deliberately. God tells him to do something, and he does it. He responds immediately and deliberately, and this is what we need to do. This, this, should, this is our example. When God speaks to you, when God directs you to do something, you do it right then. Not in part. Not slowly, because that's what happens. We put things off, and it gets easier to put it off. And we have these, all these things that God has told us to do, and we delay, and we hem and haw, and we miss out on so much. But Abraham, Abraham he responds immediately and deliberately. Um, and this is something important that, that I want to finish with. Decide ahead of time. We don't make great decisions on the fly. Uh, I, I try to really impress this upon teenagers. Know what you believe and what your stances are, what your, uh, what, your, what, what your morals are. These are the things I do. These are the things I don't do. Some people go, oh, that's legalism, that's legal. It's not legalism, it's just wisdom. Uh, most of us have decided at some point in our life that we don't leave the house naked. Amen? We just decided that. It's not a daily decision now. We don't get up in the morning like, well, I don't know today. Do I really want to wear clothes? <sighs> Maybe after I get my coffee. Oh, what the, oh yeah, but I want to watch the news. Oh, I'm late. I better just go. I'll, I'll wear clothes tomorrow. We don't do that because we've already decided this is what I do. I don't run around naked outside. I hope. If you haven't made that decision, make it today. There are other decisions we made. I will not go a year without showering. Some of you have a shorter time span. Some of, I'm sure all of you have a shorter time span. Maybe it's three days. Maybe it's a week. Maybe it's just when your wife does that when you walk by. When she says, maybe you should sleep in the guest room now on. Because gotta wash the sheets too off you know those clues but those i'm just those are ridiculous things but i had a friend i was talking to a few weeks ago and we were just talking about um 
just living for Jesus. And, and he was telling me about, he goes, you know, I really just need somebody to, to keep on top of me with my quiet time with God, just to, you know, check up on me. And I said, you know what, you really don't. You really don't. I mean, that would be nice to have somebody do that, but you really don't need to do that. You just have to say, you know what, this is what is important. This is what God has called me to do. This is who I am. I am a Christian, therefore I spend time with Christ. That's what I do. I'm a Christian means little Christ, so therefore I follow in his footsteps. I do what he do, does. I listen to him. Therefore, that's what I do. It's like wearing clothes. It's not an option. But we have all these things in our Christian walk that are an option. We are like, we. it's so much simpler when you've already said, I obey God. That's what I do. So when somebody comes, hey, you want to do this? You can just go, uh, no, because that's contrary to obeying God. I'm not going to do that. That's not going to honor him. But for some reason, we've let all these things be optional and floating around out there. And I think a lot of it comes from salvation messages where people say, all you have to do to be saved is believe in Jesus. Amen. They say things then like, you don't have to go to church. You don't have to pray. You don't have to read your Bible. None of that stuff's going to get you to heaven. That's true. That stuff's not going to get you to heaven. That doesn't mean those things aren't important, but that's sometimes what we hear. Like, well, those are all the things you can do if you want to. But if, why, would you, why would you not want to? Why would you say, I believe that he's God, and he has a message for me and a plan for me, and he has direction for my life, but I'm not going to talk to him about it? I don't want to hear from him. I don't want to read his word and know what true wisdom is. I don't want a direction in my life. It doesn't make any sense. And so we need to decide ahead of time, be deliberate about it. Say, these are the things I believe. These are the things I do. These are the things I don't do. I just don't do those things. It makes it a whole lot easier. When you go to a party and somebody goes, you want a beer? And you can say, no, I don't. You don't have to think about it. It's not like, well, let me think here. What's the scripture say? Some people would say this. Some people, well, what do you, what's your decision? Where's your stance on it? What do you believe? Uh, make, a, make a decision ahead of time. We don't always make good decisions on the fly. I love the story in the beginning of the book of Daniel where Daniel and his three buddies are offered food that is unclean according to Jewish custom. And it says that Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with any unclean thing. See, Daniel already decided previously in life, this is what I do. I, this is what I eat. This is what I don't eat. And the, the amazing thing, of course, is that, um, see, we're like Abraham and Sarah. We have the additional H in us. If you're a Christian, God's Holy Spirit dwells within you, and so he will empower you and enable you to do the things that he's called you to do. And so it's not one of those things where you have to say, well, I really want to do that, but I'm just afraid I'm going to fail. Uh, And then you just end up setting yourself up for failure. But instead saying, this is what I want to do. And by the power of his spirit, I'm going to do it because that's what he's called me to do. And if God calls me to do it, he's going to enable me to do it. God's not going to call you to do something and go, yeah, yeah, you're not going to be able to do it. No, he's going to, God's callings are his enablings through the power of his spirit. Respond immediately and deliberately. That's the great message of this, this covenant that uh, God makes with Abraham is he says to do it, and Abraham immediately that same day does it. He doesn't put it off another day. He does it right then. He responds immediately and deliberately. As a Christian today, be deliberate, and if God calls you, act upon it immediately. Don't put it off. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you for... Um, this morning, we want to thank you that we can get together and talk about you and, sh- and talk from, uh, share from your word. And Lord, I pray that uh, you would help us to, uh, to recognize those things in our life that we are putting off or that those callings that you've called us to, to, um, to 
those things you've called us to do and that we've um, said, well, it's not the time and, uh, and put them off. Lord, I pray that we would respond deliberately. Lord, I want to pray for people in here that are wishy-washy Christians that uh, w- when they chose to follow you, they, they, it was kind of a partial thing where they, they still have to decide constantly about whether or not this is what they do or it's something they shouldn't do and um, go back and forth and waffle. And, and Lord, I pray that they would be the ones that can just stand upon their, those convictions that you've put upon their heart not because they think those things are going to save them or because they think those things make them um, better than other people, but because those things will keep us uh, close to you and, and keep us in, in the center of your will and keep us safe uh, from harm, from those sins that would enslave us again, from those sins that would uh, bring death and pain and suffering to our life, for the, from those sins that would enslave us um, and take over. Lord, we, uh, we don't want any part of that. So God, I pray that you bless people today, that as they go, they wouldn't just go home and go back to their normal stuff, but that they would uh, really examine their life and those, um, those things that they tend to waffle on, that they would uh, make a decision today when, it's not, when they're not being tempted with it, when it's not an issue on the table, to make a decision about where they stand. So when it does come up, when the temptation does come, that it won't even be an option because they've already made the decision and that they don't have to They don't have to be uh, ruled by sin anymore because they've been set free by the power of your blood and empowered by your spirit. In your holy name we pray. Amen.